Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Kathy Grace and Dr. Kenya Wolf with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. Welcome, everybody. We're so glad that you have joined us again for another episode of Ed's Up. And this is a podcast for those of us who are interested in the care and uh, nurturing of young children across the country. Uh, Dr. Kenya Wolf is with me today, and we're so happy to be able to welcome Susan Verde, who is going to talk with us about uh, some of her experiences in a as a children's author and uh, how she has, through her career, uh, maybe seen some changes in the group of children that we are in the process of raising in this country and the parents and their needs. So thank you so much, Susan, for being with us. And could you tell us about yourself? How did you become interested in writing children's books? Sure. Thank you for having me, by the way, and for all that you do. So I began my career working with children as um, a kindergarten teacher. So I did that for many years and I had a master's in reading remediation. So there was a lot of focus on that as well. And as I went through that, being a teacher, which was one of the most wonderful times in my life. I used obviously a lot of books and picture books to talk about these big issues and things that we needed to talk about or help the children see themselves and all that kind of thing. And I think, you know, between that and what I was seeing going on with my own students, I started to feel like there were pieces missing and things that weren't being talked about or things that we could discuss further or touch on further. And and I always loved writing as just a hobby. So I started just sort of writing for myself at that point. And then I had children, which of course disrupted everything, but then (laughs) eventually I got myself back to it as well. And, you know, they were a big inspiration as well because they had all these different needs and different things that they wanted to talk about and ask about and all of that. So that's really what got me interested in, in writing for them. Well, you mentioned that as a kindergarten teacher, uh, how many years were you teaching kindergarten? I taught about 10 years. During that 10-year span, were you able to ascertain if there was any uh, differences in children as their needs? Were they still uh, had the same emotional needs or did you see anything that was not troubling to you, but that you could see some type of new things that would come into play that you would need to address in your classroom? Yeah, I, I, you know, it was it was ever evolving um, because children were coming in with different levels of trauma, different kinds of families, different all, all different things. And so every year it was different. And. The you know back then in the old days when I was teaching, we didn't have the language of social emotional learning, but I was very fortunate to be in a school where that piece of things was really important um, and sort of first and foremost in the lives of these kids. So we did emphasize that in the way that we knew how without the specific language. But I did notice you know and and as the population got more diverse in terms of experience, in terms of culture and all all of that, it it became a little more difficult to find books that represented everyone. So I'm I'm really grateful that there are those, you know, as time goes on, that 
has come to play, come to pass, that there are more books. But yeah, I noticed, you know, I noticed not only their sort of emotional needs kind of get bigger, but also their ability to talk about them or explore them also grew. So I think there were, although there might be have been more challenges, there was also this kind of openness and ability to talk about those things, even if with the little ones, um, they really never, you know, there was the sense of shame or the sense of uh, not being enough that comes with having whatever you've got going on. That started to shift. Well, you seem to have a specific theme that runs through your books, maybe part of what you saw in the classroom and what you felt, you know, were some needs that should have been addressed or are being addressed. But you have, you know, certain themes, mindfulness, compassion, peace, uh, taking actions that can cause bigger actions to occur and, and so on. So what was there any one event or series of events that led you to write on these topics? Well, I think, you know, one of the things I did after I left the classroom and and I then I had my children and I was fortunate enough to sort of be, you know, with them for a certain period of time, I had this kind of desire to get back into the classroom somehow without the commitments of being a full-time teacher. And I had been practicing yoga and mindfulness and all of those things for myself. And it occurred to me that those would be wonderful tools to add to a classroom. So I began to train to teach those to children. And so those kinds of uh, being aware and um, caring for yourself and, you know, it's very difficult to care for anyone else when you feel unwell, right? So all of those things seem to Although they felt important in the classroom, they just kind of rose more to the surface as I was doing those trainings and those teachings. And then, you know, as that was going on, the outside world began to get more complicated. And I noticed that the adults in the world were forgetting how to communicate with each other and that they were modeling things for young kids with, you know, whether they knew it or not. Uh, So it really felt like those kinds of things were important to cover, to bring up and um, and to let kids know that there were other ways to communicate and also to value who they are and all their individuality. Well, one of the books that we've just mentioned of the book, I Am at Peace, a book of mindfulness has been called into question by some because of the topic of mindfulness. Some of them have, uh, you know, questioned if that was an appropriate topic for children that age to be hearing about or reading about. So how do you answer critics that feel this topic is inappropriate for young children? So when I first started teaching yoga and mindfulness to kids in the schools, There was definitely pushback and there still is. Uh, There is a sort of misconception that this is a form of religion, that there's um, some kind of brainwashing or things that go on with it. And I think there's I, I think that's that's definitely a misunderstanding. I think if people would sort of really look into what mindfulness is about, First of all, there's quantifiable evidence that it helps students with their studies, with the things that are happening in school. 
those of us who may practice on our own as adults incorporate, you know, whatever level of spirituality or whatever it is that we need. We also understand that that's not for every, that portion of things is not for every child. So when you're teaching them mindfulness, you're really just teaching ways to be aware to notice how you're feeling, to notice what's going on around you, and to ultimately make better choices for yourself. So I think that, you know, it, the the question is is welcome, right? Because people don't don't know what they don't know. But the answer is really that this is a, a way of, of being more present in your world, getting more out of your life and caring for yourself, which isn't a terrible thing, and making these better choices. So there is no other element. There is no other underlying motive. There is nothing else there that except for these kinds of tools to just it. And it's, it's simple. It's breathing. It's not anything that, you know, you're not praying. You're not, um, I don't know, doing anything like that. You're just, you're breathing. You're feeling your feet on the ground, you know, very simple things to connect you to your world. Since you brought up the misconception by a lot of people who think they understand mindfulness, but they apparently don't because they are attaching uh, spiritual, religious connotations, which is not what this is about at all. And it's not just your definition of mindfulness. It's a bigger definition. What could be done or do you have any ideas of what could be done for the education of teachers around, say, mindfulness or are elements where you can help children to cope better you mentioned breathing uh to cope with situations and not necessarily which unfortunately we seem to see more of now lashing out in some violent way or some uh malicious way where there's a, a lot of bullying and name calling so if you were going to give tips to parents or to teachers where would you or how would you think we could go about doing a better explanation or some sort of uh, seminar, if nothing else, mm-hmm. on what this actually is so that people won't be scared of it? Because I see a lot of this pushback on these things about book banning and such. It's just more of a fear based simply because of misunderstandings. Right. Well, I, you know. At its core, I think there needs to be a willingness to listen and explore. You know, I've had some pushback on a couple of my books where people have refused to even open them. It's just based on the cover. And if you were to actually read them or open them or look into these things, you would see that perhaps you misunderstood so I think there there needs to be a willingness to to at least hear and then make your judgment at that point. And also, you know, what we're trying to do with kids, I mean, we see what's going on in the world and there's so much stress and anxiety and social media and all of those things. And kids become sort of desensitized to things, but then other things are intensified and they just, they need more sort of specific concrete tools to handle these things. So if I'm teaching a group of kids or I'm talking to a group of educators, my message is that mindfulness is, you know, again about this awareness, but it's also the thing that allows children to identify their feelings, 
express their feelings safely, and then learn how to make these choices that are better for themselves and the people around them. You know, I'll, I'll frequently talk to children and say things like, you know, have raise your hand if you've ever been so angry that you did something you wish you hadn't done, right? And they everybody raises their hand, including myself. And, you know, I sort of let them know that like, it's not really their fault when we have these big emotions, you know, parts of our brain shut off. And what we need to do is learn to reconnect to that. And one of the ways we can do that is simply taking three deep breaths in through our noses, right? As simple as that. Um, But what that allows us to do is say, okay, I'm angry and that's okay. You know, everybody gets angry, but now what can I do with this anger to help myself and not hurt anyone else? You know, what are my options? Can I ask for help? Can I walk away? Are these three deep breaths enough? Is nothing helping? Do I need more? Am I actually just hungry and angry instead of angry? You know, so um, I think the emphasis needs to be on the outcome, unfortunately, but, but it is sort of the outcome. Okay. What are you, what are you looking to see? You're looking to see kids who are more aware of their own feelings and can name them so they can talk about them. You're looking for ways to resolve conflict. You're looking for ways to manage big emotions without physically acting out. And you're looking for ways for your students and your children to be more focused on what they need to pay attention to. And so that's what this practice does. It's, and you know, the language can be changed. It can be um, brain breaks. You've heard of that. So brain breaks are the same thing. It can be a lot of schools are doing a mindful moment. So it's just where you stop and think, but you know, kids and teachers and parents need to have an understanding of the actual meaning. This just awareness and what it can do for you as opposed to this big esoteric umbrella of mindfulness. Like, what does that mean? You know, are you supposed to sit with your eyes closed and humming and meditating and, you know, all of that. So I think there are ways of communicating where you can really get to the heart of the goals of educators, of the goals of kids and parents without making it feel so terrifying. Great. Well, thank you. Well, I know I've used the song, I Am Peace along with the book, and we have a mindfulness curriculum that's homegrown here in Mississippi that's implemented in pre-K. And one of the things that the children love is our worries are like a bubble that pops. And so it takes that really abstract um, idea about worry and anxiety and makes it very, very concrete. And now I know that you're a kindergarten teacher, so I can see that you're able to put those skills into use in your books. Emily Arrow wrote the song that was inspired by your book. And I'm just curious. I actually went on your website and saw there were other songs also inspired by your books. How did that collaboration happen? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Emily is great. So when I Am Yoga came out, uh, which was my first in that I Am series, Emily had been doing a lot of, she had a YouTube channel where she was doing a lot of things connecting uh, literature and song. And so she was taking books that, you know, resonated and making these beautiful songs out of them and doing hand movements and things to engage kids. And um, she had written, I am yoga and reached out to me. And we immediately just fell in love with each other. So we just started talking about it. And she 
said she had been interested in making a video. So would I be willing to come to California and, you know, make it with her? And I was like, of course, that's so fun. So we did that. Um, and then, you know, we really enjoyed collaborating. And I think her sort of view of the world and what she wants to help kids do is very aligned with what I'm doing. And so it was, it was a really just sort of natural collaboration. Well, speaking of collabs, uh, you also work with Peter Reynolds, the famed author illustrator, and you've partnered on most of your recent books. Did he come to you? Did you go to him? How did that work? A good story. Um, because it's certainly been an awesome partnership. <laughs> yes. Well, first of all, he is just a wonderful human being. And I'm just so glad to know him personally in my life, as well as being, you know, super creative and talented and just what, everything. So when I started writing, I had no idea how anything worked in the publishing world. I mean, this was very foreign to me. I just knew that I had stuff that I'd written and I ended up, Peter was teaching a picture book workshop, writing workshop at this literature conference near my home, which happened every summer. And I had gone the summer before to, with a different teacher. And then I saw that he was going to be doing it. And so I was, I was a huge fan already. So I was like, I'm definitely doing this. So there were about 15 of us who applied and got in. And one of the sort of perks of being in the class was that you got to sit with Peter for 20 minutes and show him what you were doing and he would critique or comment. And he pulled out my poem that I'd written called The Museum. And he was like, this is a book and I'll be very upset if somebody else illustrates it. And so I was like, what? And wow, so, that's awesome. Yeah. So we spent the next six months working. You know, I worked on the text and turned it from poem to story. And he did the illustrations and we created a, a dummy, like a, you know, a mock book. And we sent it to his um, agent. And then within like two weeks, she she sold it to Abrams and they loved it so much. They wanted us to keep doing things together. And we also had already, I had already had other things written that he was, that had resonated with him that he was working on. So that's kind of how it all began. So sometimes I feel a little, you know, guilty when someone says to me, how do you start? How do you query an agent? How do you do this? How do you, because I, I didn't have to do all of that. But on the other hand, you know, it's also this, a matter of like, show up, show your work, don't, you know, show yourself and you never know what could happen. That is incredible. So I know books are sold everywhere, but a certain retailer is constantly sending me emails that you have a new book coming out. So I'm curious, is this a series or is this just that you all have gone from kind of had so many ideas and can you share a little bit about what's coming up? Yes, absolutely. Well, so the I Am series is a series, um, but it continues to grow. And uh, next next year, it, it sort of takes a little hiatus next year, but but not really, because what we've created is a sort of companion book with affirmations and things like that called Who I Am, actually, to go along with the books. And then the next year, there will be a brand new I Am. Um, so Peter and I are working on those things. And then I have this wonderful, very exciting new series. The first one just came out this month. Uh, I don't even know what date it is, like last week. <laughs> and uh, it's it's the first in a series 
the series is called Sensing Your World. And it's sort of a deeper dive into the senses. So this first one is called, Can You See It? And it's really um, about this idea of not just looking, but really seeing and then connecting and, you know, understanding through that and sort of feeling, really noticing kind of the miracles of the world through your seeing, sense of seeing. Um, And the second one will be, is called, Are You Listening? And that'll be next year. And that's illustrated by, that series is illustrated by Juliana Perdomo, who's wonderful. She lives in Colombia. She's just, her art is beautiful. I was so excited to be working with her on that. There's that. And then I did write my very first adult book called Say One Kind Thing. So that just came out in March. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's what we're working on. All of those things. And then some. (laughs) Awesome. Well, we will make sure and put a link to your website for our listeners so that they can check all of those wonderful things out. Thank you so much. Well, we enjoyed our visit and have felt, I I feel that I've learned a lot more about you and the, the way that you believe in the world and in the children certainly comes through in your writings. And in the expressions that you are are trying to pass along to not just the children, but the adults. And if teachers will will read and listen to the stories in your books for children, they will be as informed, I think, as the children. Because some of these things, I don't know that we as adults actually ever learned. And that that makes it hard for us to teach those things. if We've not even understood or that our awareness is so poor. in that department. We certainly thank you for joining us today. And if you have any parting words, we'd be glad to hear them. I'm so grateful that you had me on. And I just think that, you know, I I want whomever's listening, whatever educators are out there trying to do their best to know that they are really appreciated. And these things come their way and they might seem daunting and overwhelming and just one more thing to try to manage. But I'm just so glad that they're sticking it out and they're there to to help these kids. They're just amazing people. Well, again, thank you so much. And Dr. Wolf mentioned we will have a link where people can go to your website and, and learn more about you and your books. This is Kathy Grace and Kenya Wolf. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. If you have an early education topic you'd like to discuss, let us know about it at edsup at olemiss.edu. The Ed's Up podcast is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity.